0: So if I was talking to a friend back then on the phone, you know, that's like connected to a cord and to the wall, if you've heard of those, all right? you'd call and you'd make plans with your friend and, and if I so if I was going to, to a friend's house and maybe their parents were gonna come by and, and pick me up, and be like, hey, my parents will be there to get you at five. So if that was me back then as a little kid, ten, eleven years old, man, my bag was packed. I was at the window at four fifty, right? Looking out the window, looking for the car to come get me, because as soon as I saw what looked like a car coming to get me pulling up on my street I was out the door all right. the thought of like somebody coming and me not being prepared was like preposterous to me okay and some of that is just my personality a little bit a lot of it was kind of taught by my mom who was always early all the time to everything um, but it's just a way of living that made sense to me and actually yesterday, was, I was speaking at, um, at Upward for that basketball thing. This guy said, oh, you're, you're the church on, that has a sign that says 1030-ish, right? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, the, the, the funny thing about it is like that's so far from my personality. That's why it's hilarious because if it were me, it'd be like, hey, we're rolling, right? 1029, let's get this thing going. So, um, so it's one thing to be prepared when you know when somebody is coming. It's a completely different thing to be prepared when they don't really give you a time, and they just kind of say, hey, just be ready. I'll be around at some point, right? It's hard to stay vigilant um, when you don't know for sure when the moment is going to arrive, and that's the heart uh, behind this parable that we're going to take a look at today. So we're in this series on the parables that Jesus told during the last weeks of his life. And this urgent message that he was trying to communicate to everyone um, before his life was kind of snuffed out on the cross. And I've got to tell you guys that, that studying and preparing for these messages the last few weeks, um, I, I've just kind of been taken aback uh, by the severity of the consequences of ignoring Jesus' warnings. In the current climate of massive indifference towards God in this world, The scriptures couldn't be clear uh, about the absoluteness of God's justice for those who feel like they can do life on their own terms or for wishy-washy Christians who are just going through the motions of their supposed faith. So in Matthew 24, so we have been in kind of Matthew 22 for a while. Matthew 24, Jesus leaves this discussion that we've been looking at at the temple with the religious leaders and he, he goes off and he has a conversation with just his disciples, okay? And the conversation that's happening in Matthew 24 is about the end times, right? Jesus has already told them, hey, I'm going to go away. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. And so, but he also says, I'm going to come again. So the disciples are like, okay, well, what's that going to look like? What, what, how are we going to know when it's going to be time for you to come back, um, and usher in this new kingdom, this new heaven, new earth. Um, so, to be honest with you guys, and I've been a Christian now for about 33 years, I've been around a lot of people during that time that want to have all kinds of discussions about the end times. And, you know, they'll, they'll take a look at what's happening in our world, and, and they'll think, oh man, Jesus has got to be coming back soon, and, um, you know, our world is such a mess, it's got to be close to getting time. And honestly, I could not be less interested in debating a topic or talking about a topic than that one. Um, And here's part of the reason why. In Matthew 24, Jesus says on four different occasions during that chapter that we will not know the day or the hour of his return. That it will be a surprise. It will be unexpected. So the thought of spending a bunch of time trying to figure out something that we're not supposed to figure out it seems crazy to me so instead what i love is that jesus talks a lot in matthew 24 he's saying guys don't worry about that pay attention to this okay listen to the posture that jesus wants us to constantly live in so in 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 chapter uh, 24 verse 42 he says therefore keep watch in verse 44 he says so you also must be ready In verse 45 and 46, you can summarize summarize it like this. Hey, when I come back, you better be about my father's business. In other words, when Jesus returns, we we better be doing the things that God commanded us to do. And so Jesus says, hey, be watchful, be ready, be engaged. And that's where Jesus focuses these next three parables in Matthew 25 that we're going to start looking at today. So I want you to open your Bibles there. Matthew 25 is page 902 in your pew Bibles. It's called the parable of the ten virgins. You can kind of substitute the word bridesmaids. That's basically what these ladies are here in this story. And this is a warning parable. It's a parable about readiness and how we're to live our life in this in-between time, this period between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. Okay? What's our posture to be? And one of the things to kind of keep in mind as Jesus is talking about this is he's fully aware that most people miss the signs of his first coming. Right? The Old Testament had all these prophecies about the Messiah, the Savior that was going to come and redeem and rescue Israel. And Jesus fulfilled them all. I mean, he checked all the boxes. Born of a virgin. Right? Born in Bethlehem. Born in the, in the family of the line of David. That there was a, a, a prophet that came before him to prepare the way. That was John the Baptist. And then Jesus, when he grew up, he, he lived out all the prophecies, did all the things that the Messiah was going to do. He, he gave sight to the blind and healed the lame and uh, you know, freed the, the captives and, and set the prisoners free. And, and he checked all these boxes, but people still missed him. And they would missed the signs primarily because their hearts weren't tuned in to God. They weren't looking for him, and Jesus didn't want that to happen again, and the the big reason why is this, is that when people miss the signs of his first coming, there's been now this 2,000-year grace period where, for us, at any point in our life, we can can kind of figure it out. So if, if we miss Jesus in our 20s, we still might have our 30s, our 40s, our 50s to kind of Get our life back on track to to put the pieces together and, and to kind of figure it out at some point but guys when jesus comes again in His second coming there will not be a grace period that's it and jesus makes it very clear about that truth so that's let's start in verse one here it says at that time the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil and jars along with their lamps. So at that time is in the end times, okay, and first I need to explain a lot about Middle Eastern weddings and how they all worked because we're not familiar with that very much. There were basically, in Jesus' time, there were three stages of a wedding. The first stage, what was called engagement, and that was really all about the dads of the bride and groom agreeing on that their kids were going to get married and agreeing on a, a price for the bride and all that stuff, okay? So that's what engagement was back then. The second phase was what, what was called betrothal, okay? And that's what we would kind of normally see as a wedding ceremony. That's where the, 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 the couple would stand before one another and kind of make vows to each other, okay? That's what Joseph and Mary were betrothed to one another when she got pregnant with Jesus, Okay? <coughs> So after that ceremony, there was this kind of period, time period of betrothal, about a year, um, before the groom would come at an unexpected time to the bride's house and then bring her to the house that he had been preparing for her. A lot of times they would just add another room on to the groom's house, the dad's house of the the father of the groom. Um, And so it was this kind of unexpected, unknown time, and then at that time would be the week-long you know, wedding feast and celebration that we talked about last week in our story. So can you imagine not knowing the exact time of your wedding? I mean, they, they could do a reality TV show today with like moms and mothers of the brides that didn't know the day at the time of the wedding and how it all went down. That would, I mean, we'd watch. That would be exciting, right? It'd be crazy. They'd freak out. So not knowing the hour of the groom's arrival meant that you had to be almost in kind of this constant state of readiness. So the bridesmaids, the ten virgins in this story, would have their torches ready. It says lamps, the better translation is a torch, and it's just like you would think. It's like a torch, a pole like this with rags wrapped around the end that you dip in oil and light, okay, so you could carry along the path. And Weddings in those days were always at night. And so in a time when there was no electricity and no streetlights, right? The torches to guide the way was a very important thing, and everybody knew how this worked. They'd seen weddings before. So the bridesmaids should have been very aware of the necessity of having extra oil, okay? Each torch could only burn about 15 minutes before you'd have to get more oil on it, You'd have to refill it, so to speak, okay? So you had to be vigilant and prepared to keep it burning. You didn't want it to go out on the path, so you had to be on top of it, So in this story, Jesus said there were 10 bridesmaids, five wise ones who were prepared and five foolish ones who weren't. And do you know what the Greek word for fool is? I learned it this week. It's moros, which is where we get the word for moron. Okay? So Jesus is telling this story and saying there were five smart bridesmaids and five morons. All right? I love the, the guttural language of the Bible here. So, I want to ask you this question, okay? These parables are supposed to be representing something, okay? This is a story that has a point. So, who do these virgins in the story represent? I want you to see if you can figure that out. Uh, Well, not just us, specifically who? Who? Not all people. What's that? Christians, okay? Yeah, those of us that, that consider, well, maybe if you call us here this morning, yes, maybe, but okay, specifically people who profess to be followers of Christ, okay? Because all of the bridesmaids looked the part, right? They were dressed for the occasion. They were in the right place. They had their torch, okay? So if you, you would not have been able to just look at them and know just on outward appearance, which ones were the wise ones and which ones were the fools? They all kind of look the same, okay? Just like for the most part, if I, if I had a, a person, you know, blindfolded in the community room during worship, and then I brought them up here during the, during the message right now, and I asked my buddy, hey, pick out which ones are the real Christians. I mean, they'd look at all of you and be like, I don't know if any of them are. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Right, it'd be tough to tell. I mean, you're all in church, right? You look the part, you know, you've chosen to be here on a Sunday morning, okay? And Paul talks about this type of person in 2 Timothy 3, 5. He talks about people who have a form of godliness but deny its power. People who say that they believe in Christ and what they've done, but their lives don't really look different from anyone else. They're not set apart from the people of this world. There's no evidence of fruit in their life. We've talked about that in, in previous weeks. And Jesus talked about this reality a lot in his ministry. And so we know that it's something that's very important to his heart, that he wants us to wake up and understand that, guys, he's like, I know this is going on. He tells stories about the wheat and the tear that kind of grow up together. And the tear is kind of like a weed, that, but in the beginning, beginning, it looks like wheat. Only over time do we realize that it's not. He talks about the parable of the sower, right? And he says that all kinds of seeds fall on soil. And in the beginning, the, the, the plant springs up. But depending on the nature of the soil, how good it is, how deep it is, how rocky it is, how, how much surrounded by weeds it is, three out of the four seeds don't grow up to full height and, and produce a crop. They all look the same in the beginning. If you looked at them in the early days, you'd think, oh, those are all healthy plants. But only over time are the true plants revealed and in this story jesus says half of those who professed to be loving and caring friends of the bride right these were people that the the bride had chosen to to share this special day half of them 50 percent were just kind of going through the motions and not really ready at the bride's most urgent hour Let's look at verse five and six. It says, The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. So it says that the groom is late, quite a bit late. And this is Jesus' way of, of telling them and us that, hey, my coming again, is going to be a long time, right? We're, we're two thousand years into that waiting now, okay? And in the story, the bridesmaids fall asleep, all of them, the wise and the foolish ones. And I'm sure at some point that night they kind of thought, you know, he just must not be coming. So let's go ahead and, and get some sleep um, tonight, and, and maybe we'll be ready for him tomorrow night. But when does when does it say the groom showed up? What time? midnight. Dang, bro. I mean, that is a late time wedding party started, right? Midnight. Because then he's going to take him, you know, on this procession, and they're going to start the wedding feast. And so he comes in an hour that's completely unexpected. I mean, nobody would think that you would come that late at night and get this thing going. And a cry rings out that the groom is coming, and needless to say, it sends the bridesmaids into a panic, okay? Look at verse 7. It says then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, "Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out." No they replied, "They may not there may, there may not be enough for both of us, for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves." But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. So now the story starts to kind of turn a dark corner. And if you've noticed, a lot of the parables that we've looked at here in the last week of Jesus' life, in each one of them, there kind of comes this, this hinge moment where it starts to get pretty dark. And one commentator explained the moment like this. He said, all ten are expecting to be at the feast And until the moment comes, there's no apparent difference between them. It is the crisis that will divide the ready from the unready. You see, the crisis reveals the true nature. So those who have been born again, those who have not entered through the narrow gate of Christ. So the foolish versions in this story represent those folks who are trying to kind of do Christianity on their own terms. All right, God, I'll show up at church. I'll give you an hour, but, but the rest of the week's kind of mine. Or God, I'll, I'll throw a little money in the offering once in a while, but 10% of my salary? Pfft, no thanks. Or God, I'll, I'll write a check to help the poor and vulnerable, but get involved in their life, come alongside them, Man, that's too messy, it's too demanding. And these are folks who, who kind of have the lower the bar mentality, right? And young people, let me give you a great example, because <laughs> I, I, I deal with this with, with kids and young adults all the time, relationships, right? We know God says, hey, we want you to, to, to wait and, and to, to stay ready for that christian to commit your life to right and but but man whoo the temptation to just want somebody who's interested in you regardless of where they're at with jesus (laughs) is strong god says hey i want you to wait until marriage to have sex but man the temptation to get engaged in that kind of stuff in a relationship before marriage is difficult and and we have this kind of lower the bar mentality how low can i make the standard but still call myself a Christian. So in a panic, the foolish bridesmaids ask the wise ones for help, right? They're like, hey, can we borrow some of your oil? (laughs) And it's a little shocking that they're like, no. (laughs) Go get your own oil. But here's, here's here's the thing with verse eight. It's describing, what it's trying to describe is this reality that salvation is not transferable. okay? Salvation is not transferable. You can't borrow anyone else's faith. Another person can't fix your poor personal choices. It's up to each of us to be prepared ourselves to go before God. We can't lean on somebody else's relationship. And now it was too late to do anything about it. Pastor John MacArthur put it like this. He said, oil was plenty. Oil was available, but not at midnight. You had equal opportunity, but you slept away the day of grace, and you slept away the time of opportunity. So in verse 9, the wise ones tell the fools, hey, go buy some oil yourselves. But while they're away, it says the groom came, and they missed him. And the consequences of that were tragic, that the doors of the wedding feast were shut. And that was it. And last week we talked about this reality that we have a, a love, loving and gracious and kind Heavenly Father, absolutely. But we also talked about this reality that, that God is also just and that he is not playing around. He's not playing games with all this stuff. And we see the reality of that truth when the foolish bridesmaids foolish bridesmaids return. Verse 11 says this. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. In a moment of shock and desperation, the bridesmaids that went to get the oil came back And they realize the door's been shut and they're banging on the door, begging to be let in to this celebration, right? Their friends are in there. But it's too late. The kingdom of God has been shut on them. And it reminded me of what must have been the sheer terror of the situation in the time of Noah and the ark. Right, Noah's been building the ark for decades, And he's been warning all the people around him hey, guys, listen, there's gonna be this flood, and you better be ready. It's coming. But over time, year after year, whatever, dude, you know, he keeps building. And nobody listens to Noah until the water starts to rise. And then I just, you can imagine the panic as people are probably grabbing their family and making a beeline for that ark because they know that's their only hope. And they get to the ark, and the water's rising, and they get there and the door's shut, and as the water continues to come up, they're banging on the side of that ark, they're begging to be let in, but it's too late. In the same way, Jesus is saying to all of us, guys, the doors are open now, the doors are open. But there's going to be a time when they're going to be shut. It's not always going to be that way. And in that moment when Jesus returns and the trumpet sounds and the ungodly beg and those who thought they were in, but their foolish hearts, their fraudulent hearts are exposed, won't make it. And Jesus describes those people from verse 11 and here on several occasions in scripture here are a couple of examples one is from matthew not everyone who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven many will say to me on that day many lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles then i will tell them plainly i never knew you away from me you evildoers now, these are people that are like doing good things. <laughs> We're not talking about the many who aren't even trying, right? These are many who think that they're, they're doing the right thing. Go to the next one in Luke. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, You will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. See, we read through the Gospels and we see these stories and maybe when we, when we kind of come across them in isolation here and there in Luke and then maybe in the next year we read in Mark and, and we see it there. But when, we, when you kind of bring them all together and you put them side by side and you start to see the number of times that Jesus talked about this exact same thing, you start to realize that Jesus understands that this is a problem. This is a huge misunderstanding that people who think that they're in aren't getting And in the context of this wedding, these bridesmaids, they had insulted the bride and groom by not being ready, right? They had one job, (laughs) right? You see those tweets, you had one one task, right? You had one job. Just, Just be ready, have the fuel, have the oil, keep this light going. I've chosen you, you're special to me. In their city, they would have never be allowed to live this down. They would have never been asked to be a bridesmaid again. (laughs) And we place ourselves in the same position for judgment when we ignore or we take for granted the amazing grace that God has offered us through his death on our behalf on the cross. And this parable ends with the same reminder spoken throughout chapter 24, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour of Christ's return. And so guys, really the only way to be ready for the unexpected day is to be ready every day. The only way to be ready on the unexpected day is to be ready every day. And if we're to view this parable correctly, then it's safe to say that there are many people sitting in pews in Christian churches around the world today, here this morning maybe even, Who are like those foolish versions they look the part but their hearts are unprepared for that moment of crisis and that's why you know jesus makes this very clear he keeps talking about it that's why i've been trying to talk with you the last few weeks and say guys we have to search our hearts we have to ask ourselves some really tough questions we have to ask ourselves, is my, my life producing fruit? Is there evidence that I'm a follower, a true follower of Christ? Am I asking other people around me, hey, do you see fruit in my life? Do I really want to know the answer to that question? Is our life consumed with the pursuit of God? Is it not just something that's kind of something that we do? Is it the thing we do? The most important thing. Are we aware and grateful for the invitation that's been extended to us? When we gather and we sing and we worship here on a Sunday morning, is our heart moved because of the reality of the words we're singing and what it means in our life? Are we caring for the people around us like Jesus asked us to, to love your neighbors, yourself? Are we sharing our hearts, our lives with them? Are we caring for those outside of our church doors? Do our beliefs and our actions line up? Or are we just playing the Christian game? Are we in love warning people who take lightly the call to follow Jesus? These are all tough and very important questions. Are we a ready people? Are we doing the things that God commanded us to do? When he comes back, is he going to find us about our Father's work? Do we have a spirit that says, not my will, but yours be done. Not Christianity as I want it to be, the bar that I wanna set it at, but Christianity as Jesus commanded that it is. Is that the life I'm living? Is that my desire? If I'm not there yet, is my desire that? Is my pursuit that? That's really what Jesus is looking at. He's looking at the heart. He understands that we're not gonna be doing it perfectly. We're, We're flawed, we're broken. But, but our desire should be that. We should be vigilant. When God shares something with us, and however he spoke with you today, are we following through? Are we, are we obeying what God has commanded us to do? We don't get to decide what Christianity looks like. Jesus did that. It's our job to line ourselves up with his portrayal of what that is. So that we don't find ourselves on that day wondering, how did I come to Wellspring for years and miss it? It's not going to be because Bob didn't try to tell you. It's not going to be because Jesus didn't try to tell you, okay? So when we see people around us, guys, in here, and I do it from time to time, I'll pull somebody aside and say, dude, I don't know, man. Like, I hear you saying you want to do this, but I'm looking at the word and it says this, just like I would want somebody to do with me. And, and this, is, this is what it seems to be saying you need to do, but you're living this way. Man, you got to line that up. Not because I feel like I'm better than you or whatever, but it's like I'm looking at the scripture, I'm trying to figure out how you can continue to live that way and call yourself a follower of Jesus. That's not how Jesus lived. We've got to all do that for one another because the stakes are too high <laughs> to not get it right. Okay, let's pray.